Hey, uh, welcome back. Uh, if you guys heard last week, we started a series for Christmas called This Childlike Wonder, as we're kind of taking a look at Christmas through the eyes of a child. And we really have this idea that I think maybe the way that kids see things is more the way we should see things. Maybe the way that they see things is closer to the kingdom than we might think. And so we're going to continue that today. And so this month, uh, this week for me, I've really been spending time, as Scott said, he said something last week that I had heard before, this idea of closing my adult eyes and then opening those childlike eyes. Closing my adult eyes and opening those childlike eyes. And this morning, what I want us to do is kind of open those childlike eyes, a childlike wonder of how we see family, how we see relationships, how we see that during this time of the year. And I was thinking this week about how much I can remember the excitement of going to my family. I remember the excitement. I remember the anticipation. I also remember the anxiousness that would be as we would make this long drive from Southern California to Santa Rosa, which is up north of San Francisco, where my dad was from. And we'd make that drive at Christmas to go see my family up there. And the excitement to see my grandma Nana, the excitement to see Uncle Jack and Aunt Sandy and Scott and Kenny, my cousins, or Aunt Tina and Uncle Joe, or Uncle Steve, who I'm named after. And remember the excitement of that. I always remember the fear of going up, and I knew, because see, my dad's sister, my Aunt Sandy and Uncle Jack lived up in Portland, Oregon, so they're doing a long drive. We'd all you know, come to my grandparents' little, tiny, probably 1,000-square-foot house, and I also remember the fear of, am I ever going to upset Grandpa George? Any of you have a Grandpa George? Any of you a Grandpa George yourself, where you're afraid of walking in front of the TV at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, getting caught with the hands in the cookie jar? Grandma Nana's like, are you kidding me? I made all these snacks for them. And Grandma, you enough sugar, you know, whatever. And the fear of that. I'd be anxious for that long road trip. I'd be anxious during that wrong road trip because I also knew that there was going to be a real uncomfortable formal greeting when we got there. You see, I'd only see this part of my family maybe once a year to once every couple years when all the stars would align for work schedules and everything and we can meet up there and, and be there. So I knew I was going to walk into the house and I was going to walk up to my cousin Scott and be all, Scott, Steve. Scott, Kenny, good seeing you, look older, you know, he's so uncomfortable, like it's my cousin, but I haven't seen him for so long, and he looks different, he smells different, he acts different, I don't know what he's into anymore, and just seeing all these relatives you haven't seen for a while, but I also knew that three or four days later, with tears in our eyes, we'd be hugging and saying goodbye, wishing that we lived closer together, because it wouldn't take long, right, for that connection to take place. I also knew while we were leaving that it wouldn't take long, and I knew it was in the back of my mind, that it wouldn't take long on that road trip until that dysfunctional reality of my family would come out. And the understanding that we were not going to be fully a family for very much longer. It wasn't going to be long until my mom would no longer be on those trips to Santa Rosa with us. She wouldn't be welcome there. And it would be weird driving up just with my dad to go see everyone, knowing how hard it was for my mom. Or my family in Orange County that I loved going to as well, my mom's side of the family, and realizing that my dad wouldn't be going to those trips. I wouldn't get to hear Uncle Tim and my dad argue about something and discuss something. 
And things changed. Christmas was a time that my parents would be on their best behavior when they were together. And everything would seem like it should be when we're up there and getting along and gathering and having so much fun. I looked so forward to that. I looked forward to the kids' table. You guys, I know you have kids' tables, like the old cardboard table you pull out and stick it in the corner. That's the kids' table to eat over there. And I remember we'd just mow our food down because we knew that after dinner was presents. Because, see, on my dad's side of the family, we did it what's called the right way. You open all your gifts on Christmas Eve, and then you just save one for the morning and the stocking. Why isn't everyone on that? That's perfect, right? So we had finished eating, and then those, those stinking old people can, like, drink coffee and talk forever. I mean, didn't they know we had gifts to open? Well, now that I'm one of those stinking old people, oh, we know, right? And we're just going to let the kids simmer a little. We'll get to it. We'll go, oh, come on, you know? We'll get to it. It's so fun now as an adult to get to be that side of the story. So awesome. I miss my grandparents. I don't have any grandparents around anymore. They're all gone. But they lived pretty full lives into their old age. Not so much with my dad, though. I really miss my dad. He never made it to 60 years of age. My dad didn't get old. He was active and young when cancer snuck up on him. I could say cancer snuck up us on all, on all, all of us. And took him one month after he was diagnosed. I can tell you that 20 years ago, that experience has changed my life forever. That experience changed my life forever. Actually, I could say that eight years before that is when my life really changed. And if I could be cheesy, Really, it's 2,000 years before that, that my life changed. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That Jesus that's talked about here, that Jesus that grew up and taught just some of the most amazing teachings about life and hope and peace and salvation and gave his life for the sins of the world and rose from the dead in my early 20s, that Jesus took a hold of my heart and took a hold of my life. And when I think back to the greatest impact that he had in my life, I can say it was probably with my family. I can relate it right back to my dad and I. And how much that Jesus impacted my life that changed that. So as I was thinking this week about a childlike wonder of Christmas, I couldn't help but think about my dad and I. Because the message of Christ had such a deep impact. And it's something that continues to influence me today. But my dad and I's relationship was a pivotal time in my life. You see, my dad was someone that I deeply respected and looked up to. He was a, a baseball coach and an athlete. Like, like no one, he was a high school PE teacher that nobody could beat at anything. Badminton, ping pong, basketball. Guy was just a stud. Every kid in school wanted to try to beat him at something. My dad, man, he was the coach. And he was the one that everyone looked up to. And I did too. But as I grew older and the dysfunction of our family began to be a little clearer, things changed. 
my honor and my respect towards him began to diminish. And I started finding myself becoming critical, judgmental. I became harsh. And I began to stand my ground against him, thinking that if I did that, I would get what I wanted. As I thought a lot about that this week, I, this, is, this is kind of what I came to realize. That when I closed my childlike eyes and I opened my adult eyes, I began to cause some damage in relationships that I should have valued more. And that was a real choice on my part. My part. It started when I was about 17 years old. My dad was a nag. Always on us, always riding us. You never did anything right. Any of you have a coach for a father? I'm sorry if you do. I'm very sorry. You know? I mean, I didn't hold the fork right. I didn't make my bed right. I didn't fold the towels right. I remember going bowling with my dad, and he ticked me off so much because I wasn't bowling right that I walked home. I'm bowling, Dad. Get off me. He never could get off me. It was constant. And so I began to give back. It's pretty crazy to think about somehow through the teachings of Jesus, through parting a community of a church that began to change my life and I trust through the spirit of God that was working in my heart and in my mind, I began to choose a narrow road with my dad when I was about 23. You know the narrow road, right? Matthew chapter 7. So in everything do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, the narrow road. For wide is the gate and the broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Up to that point, I realized that I was experiencing this wide road mentality, this wide road of destruction through my conscious decisions to treat my dad the way that I thought he treated me. And it was destroying our relationship. Now I want to tell you something. Still to this day, I think it was my dad. He was the problem. He was a hard one to live with. Still to this day, we have Christmas gatherings. We talk about my dad. It's a lot of fun when they've been gone for 20 years. And we talk about what my dad was like, how hard he was to be around. But it was my decision I made that I think made a difference. That was a huge eye-opener for me. Something changed. My childlike eyes were opened, and in amazement, everything changed. You know, I started realizing something. The more I was living, the more I was becoming exactly like the person I didn't want to be like. You see, when I begin to treat someone the way that they treat me, especially if they're treating me a way I don't like, then I'm becoming like them, and that's what I was becoming like. I was becoming more and more like my dad. If my wife wants to get to me right now, she'll go, oh, that reminds me of your father. And I'm just like, oh, don't you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but she knows. If she wants to say that, you all know my wife. If you do, she's too sweet to say it. But I know she thinks it's a lot. She thinks it. You're thinking I'm like my dad right now, don't you? Something changed and my eyes were open and everything changed. And for the next seven years from that moment where I made that decision, our relationship got so good. It got so good. I could not spend enough time with my dad. And by the time he was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer, our relationship was so life-giving.
It was so life-giving. And I've tried, not always successfully, but I've tried to keep those childlike eyes open when it comes to being a husband and being a father and being a son, being a friend and to be honest, at times being an enemy. I've tried to keep those same eyes open. And it's something over the years that's moved me. My wife used to call me the Scrooge during Christmas. I was like the bah humbug, you know, wasting all this time, put up my lights and just take them down, you know. I used to argue with my dad. Why do I have to make my bed? I'm just going to sleep in again tonight. That still doesn't totally make sense to me. But I was like this bah humbuggy kind of guy. And man, something's changed over the years. Man, I love this time of year. I love the lights. Do you guys like lights? I can't put my, wait to put my lights on. I actually am about to go door to door in my neighborhood because some of my neighbors haven't put their lights up yet. It's like, we're running out of time. We only got two weeks. Get the lights up for goodness sakes. Let's light this baby up. I like going to the mall during this time of the year. I actually think people are nicer. I do. I got Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. You too, Merry Christmas. Woo, you know, I don't go to the Disney store, mind you. I'll stay out of that crazy place. But other than that, it seems like people kind of have, they, they consider other people's interests more. They're more polite. They greet each other. They, they set aside their differences at family gatherings. I didn't realize how much my family actually did that. They didn't all like each other, I found out later on. I think they all like me, but I'm not totally sure. I'm just going to let it go. But at least kids seem to live that way, right? Right, kids, you gotta be in your best behavior right now, right? Or Santa might give you coal. I mean, you got this idea, I better be nice right now. Better keep the attitude going right. And I find that during this time, I love it. It wasn't until later in life I realized how much we don't like each other. As a kid, I thought we all loved each other. So how might we begin to have a little bit more childlike wonder during this time of year? How might we begin to... Look at our friends in this new light and our family and our friends and our loved ones. And how might we do this? Not just so, not so we don't just get stuck doing it during Christmas, but maybe it begins to become a more, more, more normal way of life. And I just want to share some things I learned through my situation with my dad that I hope impacts you in some way or another. Here's the first one, and it's probably one of the biggest. Don't underestimate the potential you have to impact others and never give up trying. Don't underestimate the power you have to impact others. And don't ever give up trying. I mean, this is so real to me. This is so real to me. I mean, think about how much of a difference a smile can make, right? How much of a difference a smile can make? How much of a difference a gentle response can make when someone cuts you off in line? A simple Merry Christmas can make someone's life during that moment, right? It doesn't take much. Now, maybe some of you are still skeptical. If you are, consider this. How much of a difference does the person make in your life when they're frowning all the time? What's it like when you accidentally cut someone off in line not knowing that they were there and they cop you an attitude? Does that make your day? Or what about when you say, hey, Merry Christmas, and they go, right? Does that make your day? Have you ever had the negative experiences? If you've had the negative experiences, then that should help us to understand that the positive ones are just as powerful. It's not that difficult to make an impact in people's lives. It really isn't. A matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you on something. The reality is you're all making an impact on people's lives. I guess we just need to think about what it is. We're all doing it. 
It's just, what are you doing? I love Galatians chapter six, verse nine, where he says, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't give up, keep doing it, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, I wanna just think about this harvest thing. As I thought about this over the week, and I've been thinking about my dad and I, I would say the, the first foundational harvest that I reaped was my own heart change. That's been a 20-year change. And when I started doing something different, it took time, but I began to change. And I became more conscious as a husband, and as a father, and as a friend. I hope, I try. It really made a radical impact in my life. Now, I got blessed that the, I reaped the harvest of my, my dad changing and our relationship changing as well. I got that privilege. You might not, you might. I haven't in every relationship, but... My heart and the others, don't give up doing what is right. It's not overthink what it means to do what is right, but I'm gonna give you four things anyways. And here's what I did. I tried to think of the things I was told as a kid and I wanna bring them to you. Because have any of you adults found that it's a lot easier sometimes to tell your kids to do things that you won't do? I'm not talking about like dishes. I'm talking about attitudes, things like that. So let's think of some of the things that we tell our kids. I thought of things that I was told. Let's look at the first one. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Right? Classic. So easy to tell our kids. So hard to do ourselves. But I really started thinking about that. Hands down, when it came to my dad and I, I would say 95% of our issue was with words. What we said, how we said it, it was words. And words was destroying our relationship. What I would say or what I wouldn't say had an impact. And when I really thought about how much my words would impact my dad, at about 23, I worked at stopping saying those words. Man, my dad was a red button dude. His button was this big on his chest. And when I made a choice that I was going to begin to treat him in a certain way, I could just press that button so easily. As my dad's nagging me about something, I'd press the button, chink, and then I'd watch him lose it. <laughs> and I would laugh inside because now I have control over you, buddy. You think you're controlling me. You're not. I can tick you off at any moment. And I took advantage of that over and over and over again. My dad lived in Lake Havasu City when I got out of high school, and there was times I drove to Lake Havasu, we got in an argument, and I drove home an hour later. Bummed out, but also, eh, I don't need that guy. And when my dad started wanting me around, I didn't want to be around. Because I didn't feel like he was around when I wanted him to be around. Words are powerful. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Guys, I love words. I love talking. I love sharing. I love disagreeing about things. I just love it. And I've had to realize that because I love the fruit of words, I need to be very careful because those words have the power of life and death. And that became a big deal for me. It made a huge difference when I stopped saying certain things. 
And still to this day, I believe that words are the, one of the most powerful tools for life and death that we have within relationships. But I did have to learn really early on when I was uh, with my dad that if I just stopped saying the things and I didn't learn something else, which we're going to talk about, but if I just stopped saying the things, it wouldn't take long because those things would come back out again. When my dad's nagging me and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say words, I'm not going to press the buttons anymore, I would sit there and it kind of looked like this inside. But he'd back me in the corner, he'd back me in the corner, blah! It would come out. And that's when Ephesians 4 started taking my heart. I was working at this with my dad. It said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I had plenty of that. But only that which is helpful for building up your father according to his needs, that it may benefit him. So I had to learn to not just stop the unwholesome things, but I had to figure out how to start speaking those things that were to his benefit. Because I want to tell you, I spoke things to his benefit that I didn't feel. But sooner or later, I did. I encouraged him, and I didn't want to encourage him. But down the road, I wanted to. It changed my life. Changed my life. Don't ever give up focusing on the things you can say and how much power they have in your life. Build up, don't tear down. It's what we teach our kids, right? It's what we teach our kids. Here's another one that I heard a lot when I was younger. Be kind and don't play too rough. I I realize I hurt people not meaning to. And I think it's so easy for us to think about this idea of, you know, we tell kids to be kind, don't play too rough, but we're not kind and we play rough. And this flows out of the words. For us adults, we begin to play rough with our words. How many of you are going to have a chance you're going to go to your family gathering and get in some political debate and argument and leave all ticked at each other? It's your choice. Words can damage and we, we need to learn to be kind and not play too rough. And I realized, and sometimes, I mean, I'm not meaning to hurt people with my words, but I do. I was the type of kid that I hurt people not meaning to hurt them. I remember I was back in like sixth or seventh grade. I had a beach cruiser and I was riding home and my buddy Kevin Flora was walking on the, on the sidewalk and I go, Kevin, get on the handlebars. I'll ride you home. He goes, no way, dude. You're going to do something stupid. I go, no, I'm not. I'll just ride you home. He goes, you promise you won't do anything dumb? I go, I promise you just hop on. He hopped on. I got about like one driveway away and I had to go up onto the curb and I had to jump off the curb. And when I jumped off the curb, he fell off the handlebars. He hit his face on the cement. And I'm not kidding you. I ran right up his back and over his head. It was like, dunk, dunk, dunk. and he comes up crying. He's bleeding. He's like two or three years younger than me. He's bleeding. He starts running home. And I can still picture my head riding my bike alongside him, which wasn't easy because he ended up playing professional baseball and he was incredibly fast. And I'm, I'm going, come on, Kevin, don't tell your mom, dude. We'll clean you up. You're okay. It's not a big deal. He's bleeding. He's crying. And I'm just trying to save myself, right? I didn't mean to, but I just would be rough sometimes. Like I didn't mean to throw the marble into the pool when his brother, younger brother was in the pool. I thought the marble would kind of slow down its speed before it hit him in the head and cut his head open and need stitches. I mean, I was kind of hoping it would slow down. I wasn't sure what it was going to do. It was like a science experiment, right? But those are the little things that my mom would be like, Steve, like be kind. Don't be so rough. 
And I tell you, that, that, that rule should be really paid attention to as us as adults. We should open up our childlike eyes and say, let's, let's, let's be kind and not so rough. I, I love Galatians chapter five. It's just so, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, how many of you want all your relatives to live that way towards you? Maybe it's time that we put the effort into living that way towards them, you know? And just kind of focusing on patience and peace and kindness, gentleness, those kind of things. It makes a huge difference. It's not always easy. Oh, it's not always easy. I told you my dad had this big, huge red button. There was a moment about four or five months into our relationship transforming. I can honestly tell you, I was finally listening to what he told me, what he would say to me in high school. Shut your mouth. I was finally doing it. it took me a while. I didn't like when he said it, but I did. And, I, and our relationship was going good. And I was like excited to be out seeing my dad at the river. And I'd go out there once a month and see him. And we were having a great time and talking on the phone every day. It was awesome. And then there was a moment we were driving around and it's my dad and my uncle Jack and my cousins. And we are all boat people. My dad lived at the river, had a boat. And we, I grew up water skiing and my uncle had a boat. And we started telling boat stories. Well, when I was about eight or nine years old, we got our first boat. And my dad went to Silverwood Lake on a Saturday to drop the boat into the lake for the first time. Okay, we were athletes. Athletes don't back things up, right? So my dad's backing down the boat dock and he can't, and there's a line of cars waiting for him. And I'm just sitting there going, this is so humiliating for him. And I'm eight years old, nine years old. I'm sitting there all of a sudden, I'm not kidding you. A dude walks up to our van and opens up the van door and goes, get out of the van. And he backs the boat up for us. And I'm sitting there inside going, you have no idea how much pride this man you just yanked out of his van has. Not fighting pride, just humiliation pride, right? And my dad saw my face. He pulled out a couple bucks and go, go get some candy. Because he knew I'm just about to lose it. This was a, such a beautiful moment in my relationship with my dad. And so now we're talking 10, 12 years, 13 years later, I'm with my cousins, we're talking about funny boat stories. I've been working on shutting my mouth and being honoring to my dad and our relationship is growing. And I say, oh my goodness, dad, you remember that time many, many years ago when that dude pulled you out of the van and backed the boat up when we were at Silverwood Lake? And my dad said, son, don't start now. You've been doing really good. I know that sounds funny, but that was not funny at the moment. Everything was within me with my dad's red button just went, press me, go after him. That's why this isn't worth it. But I shut my mouth. My uncle even said, man, Rick, chill out. What are you freaked about? Now, my uncle didn't know how much our tension had grown over the years. And my dad responded, and I didn't. And I still remember that. I can still get a little, I've told that story, I still get a little upset inside that that happened. Felt unfair, but so powerful. Number three, say you're sorry. And I forgive you. I, I said that in principle because this is what I was always told. Go say you're sorry. Go say you're sorry. You didn't mean to run him over your bike. You didn't mean to hit him with the head with a marble. You didn't mean to throw the smoke bomb in the lady's mailbox in her door. Just slipped out of my, that was a good one. Don't try that at home. Say you're sorry. Oh man, the things that I require my kids to do that I won't do. 
that childlike reality, saying you're sorry, is so powerful. It's probably one of the most powerful set of words there is. I love Colossians 3.13. Just as bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What a powerful thing to live into. Forgiveness. Whether you're asking for forgiveness or you're forgiving someone else, it's a huge must if you're going to have relationships that thrive and grow. And I had to work on forgiving my dad. And my dad never once asked for forgiveness. He probably never saw how much he was a struggle to be around. But I forgave him. And I chose to not hold that against them and keep moving forward. And it wasn't easy, but it's something that I continuously do now. I do it with my kids. I want to tell you, when you honestly, not just, oh, I'm sorry, but you honestly come to someone, especially parents, if you've ever come to your kids and actually really realize, finally fessed up that your words are the ones that need to change, that you're the one that's saying the things. I might be demanding of my 12-year-old to stop doing things, but maybe I need to be the adult and stop doing things. And you really come with a heart of forgiveness. It can change your life because you don't want to do it again. It's like you want to really wrestle through that, man. The more I've done that, the more it's really transformed me in some very powerful ways. So ask for forgiveness and forgive. It's beautiful and it's huge. And the final one is super important, but it, but it comes with a kind of interesting... Remember last week, Scott had those advent calendars he showed up in the screen? If you ever had the advent calendar, every day you get to open something up all through December. My mom would do those. And they, my mom would be pretty fun. We'd open up a box and it'd say like, Go to the dryer. We'd open up the dryer. Go into your bedroom. Ah, we have a toy. Yes, something's coming. You know, we're running around the house. We'd finally come up with something or there'd be candy and it'd be awesome. But there was the dreaded window. There was the window I knew it was coming. I didn't know where it was on that list. But there was going to be the time where I was going to open up that window. I was going to pull out that piece of paper and this is what it was going to say. Give your sister a hug and tell her you love her. And I remember my sister and I would say, no, not that one. And we'd sit there and look at each other. My mom just loved it. Give a hug and say you love each other. I'd be like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. Look at the little cooties, right? My sister was older than me. It was terrible. But I, you know, I don't remember one gift I've ever gotten in an advent calendar. I don't remember one candy. I don't remember anything, but I remember that card. I remember that. Saying, I love you. Wow. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says, Over all these things, all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I have to tell you, many years later, of all the things my sister and I have gone through, and my sister has some more struggles with my dad that she never got to figure out. We went through a lot. Guilt, shame, different thoughts, loss of loved one, loss of a family, brokenness. I cannot tell my sister I love her enough. Other than my wife, she is one of the most special women in my life. I so thank my mom that she made us do that when we were kids. <laughs> now it's easy. She didn't got to put that in the box. Because we found that through life, saying we love each other and hugging each other is so huge. I was just at my family's Christmas yesterday, and there's my Uncle Frank, man. My Uncle Frank is a big, giant man, and I know when I get in, man, I'm ready for Uncle Frank. Come here, Steve. <laughs> Love you, man. Oh, Love you too, Uncle Frank. 
And you know what? A lot of that stuff stems from what happened with my dad and I. What happened with my dad and I flowed over into a lot of our family, made a difference, made a change. Hug. Tell them you love them. So much needed in so many ways. Christmas is right around the corner. It's right around the corner. Many of you are going to be with family and friends. And for some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait. And some of you are like, oh, gosh, this is terrible. I hate this. Either way, don't ever underestimate the power you have to impact someone's life as you treat them the way you want to be treated. Through your words, through being kind and caring and patient, by forgiving and asking for forgiveness, by telling them you love them. Maybe there's someone in your life. Maybe there's someone in your family. Maybe there's someone around you eagerly waiting to see this message of Jesus that I experienced, was able to give to my dad. Maybe they're waiting to see it too. Maybe you're the one that gets to show it to them. I don't care what excuse I might think I have or that I have this feeling that I can't make a difference and I can't be part of this revelation of love and grace and hope in life because I can and so can you. But it's gonna take closing those adult eyes in some ways, right? And opening up those childlike eyes. Seeing differently. Seeing the value of treating others the way you want to be treated. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you so much for... um, just grabbing hold of that just arrogant, prideful young man and changing my life. Thank you for working through me to see something happen with my dad and I that I would never, ever want to take back. Thank you for the way that it has made this powerful impact in my life now for the last 20, 25 years. And I pray that maybe our story just might help someone else. May we each realize that, that we, we, we get to have a powerful impact in others. May we never underestimate how much our lives can make a difference. Through our words, through our kindness, through saying sorry or I forgive you or through a hug and saying, I love you. I pray that for maybe some of us, we might be encouraged through the power of your spirit to make that step, to not give up, to keep moving forward in this childlike wonder of family and friends and relatives that you see during this time of the year and and keep it going for the rest of our lives. May we be thousands of friends advancing your cause. For your glory and your honor and your praise, in Jesus' name, amen.